Amen? Amen. Um, as, a, as a review, we're studying the book of Revelation. And uh, as I always like to remind, our, uh, remind us that, uh, that uh, this book comes with a special promise that no other book offers. And that uh, it uh, says that blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it for the time is near. And so that's, that's the blessing that, uh, that we have. And I got to tell you, just as I'm doing my studies it is such a blessing to spend so much time in the Word. And, and, and so that's, I don't know, that's, that's just part of it for me. But uh, we're going to claim, claim this, uh, this promise tonight because we sure love being blessed. Um, again, as a review, the book has its own outline embedded in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, and uh, where you know, John's told to write the things which you have seen, which was the vision of Christ in chapter 1, and the things which are, which were the seven churches that we finished up last week in chapters 2 and 3, and then the things which shall be hereafter. And so that, that which follows the churches, chapters 4 through 22, and that's where we're going tonight, family. We're going into chapter 4. It's an, it's a, it's an amazing place. And so, uh, when, when I mean, think about it. We're going to enter into the throne room of God. That's where we're going tonight. Um, i gotta, I got to say that as I was studying this, and and I'm learning about heaven and, and all that it promises to be, I felt so at home. It's like, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I can wait. I can't wait. I, I can't wait because I want to be there. I can't wait because we have another surprise. Erin, do you mind? My, my oldest daughter, Erin, is here, and her due date is May 20th. And so we are just... All right, Lord, you can wait just a little longer. But uh, we just want to... Um, we, we are... Just so excited. Just so excited. So let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this evening as we gather together in your name. We just waiting expectantly to hear from you. We need to hear from you. Please lead us and guide us tonight, this week, and through this time of transition for your church. We look forward to seeing what you have, what you have planned. Great and mighty things. Tonight, Father, please make your word come alive to us and help us to see what John experienced uh, there in your throne room, and, and, and we cannot wait. So we just lift this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And this calls for a drink of moisture because my lips are already going dry. Alrighty. After these things I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Verse 2, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne preceded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. 
The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever and casts their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Wow. What, what, a, what a vision, what a, what a description. From Revelation 4 through 19, this section mainly is concerned with God's judgment on the world. We call it the Great Tribulation. And all through this, we're going to read about seven sealed scrolls, seven trumpets, seven signs, seven bowls, all pouring out God's wrath. And we're going to see all of this as we move through the book of Revelation. Um, but Revelation 4 introdu- introduces us to the specific place where this all comes from, the throne room of God. So this is where it's coming from. Alrighty, let's jump in. So, uh, after these things. Now, the Greek word here is metatauta. And it's the same phrase that we saw in the first chapter where John was instructed to write the things that he had seen, the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. So metatauta means um, uh, after these things. So the question is, after what? Well, that would be after church history, after chapters 2 and 3. Uh, it's interesting to note that in the first three chapters of the book Revelation, we see the word church 19 times. 19 times that, that John writes about the church. From chapter 4 on, it never appears. Not once. It's interesting because in chapter 4, we believe that the church is taken off of the earth and taken up into heaven. Hallelujah. We call this the rapture, or in Greek, it's the harpazo. Um, Then John says, and I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. I love this. Remember last week, we just read in uh, chapter 3, verse 20, we saw Jesus knocking on the door. And remember that Jesus was, was, uh, was inviting individuals. He was saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice. And so he's saying that last chapter, now we see that anyone who has opened the door of his heart uh, to the Lord, will have the door of heaven open to him. Because read what comes next. He says, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So as, as John enters heaven, he's struggling to decide what, to, to describe what he's experiencing. I mean, think about it. To be able to you know, share what he's seen and experiencing uh, things that he's never, ever uh, been... been um, seen or heard or, or, or uh, experienced. And so he uses um, symbols. He'll use symbols as he's describing what he's doing. Also, we need to keep in mind that, uh, you know, the na- nature of symbolism is that uh, the symbol is always less than the reality. Okay? So he'll try all that he can to describe what he's seeing here, but you've got to realize that it doesn't even touch reality. 1 Corinthians 2.9, it reads this. It says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And that kind of sums it all up. We can't even start to imagine the amazing things that, uh, that the Lord's preparing for us. I believe that we'll be absolutely blown away by heaven. We're going to be learning more about heaven as we go through the book. 
But, you know, I don't want to end up, you know, taking the tour in heaven with the angels and, and acting like I'm all surprised, um, you know, like a tourist. Wow, what's that? What's that? He's going to turn around and say, what, didn't you read your Bible? Right. So, we, you know, we want to know as much as we can about heaven. And, uh, and, and so that's, we're, going to, we're going to be touching pieces of that as we go through. Then John says the first verse which I or the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, and that that's the same voice that spoke to him in Revelation 1:10, and it's speaking to him again, and uh, it's it's the voice of Jesus, you know, and I just wonder, and I, and I my brain does this, I wonder if Jesus's voice sounded the same then as it did when he was on earth, you know, and and would John would have recognized it as the voice of Jesus? I I think so. You know, I, I think that uh, he'd hear that and say, wow, that's that's the master. So John, uh, Jesus calls John up to heaven and, and the voice spoke loud and clear to John. And it was like a trumpet. And it was, you know, think about the trumpets through scriptures that uh, the trumpets were to gather the congregation of Israel together or, or it would gather the army together for battle. And, and but you know what? I think it's going to sound better, cleaner sharper than any Bose sound surround speaker system we've ever heard, right? It is going to be amazing. Um, the whole idea of a trumpet sound draws my mind back to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. Verse, six, first, uh, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18, I love this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Obviously, this passage is, is speaking of the rapture. And when the Lord takes us, his church, his bride takes us to heaven, uh, we're going we're to be together. We're going we're gonna, to uh, meet together in the air. At the end, it says uh, we're reminded to comfort each other with these words. And, and so I was trying to think of a way that we could remind each other of, of this comforting words, right? And so I was thinking, you know, what if we just said, oh, yeah, remember, we're going up. Oh, wait, that's already taken, right? One way or we are number one or, you know, take your pick, right? And then, um, and then there's, there's the, you know, peace. Oh, no, that doesn't work. Um, and then there's the, the other finger, but I won't model that one for you. And then um, there's, uh, you know, the three. That's the Boy Scouts. So that's already taken. So what I was thinking, oh, yeah, therefore comfort one of these. I'm getting way ahead of myself. What I was thinking, the, the international sign language is kind of a cool place to start. And I thought it was really sweet that, you know, if, you, if everybody take your pinky and go like this. Okay, and if you swoop it like this, it means a J, right? But if we do it backwards... Then it was going up to Jesus. Get the J, right? So now when we see each other, we just go like this. It's like we're flashing signs, right? Okay. And so with that, we are comforting each other with those words, right? Do you like that? Okay. All right. So next time we say, I want you to go like, hey, Dave. All right. Okay. All right. I love the, um, well, the next line. Jesus says, Come up here. So he's talking to John. He says, come up here. I like the King James Version. It says, come hither. When's the last time you used hither? Okay. But come hither. Um, how many raptures do you think are described in the, in the Bible? Okay. I'll give you a hint. 
Anytime there's a Bible question that can be answered with a number, what do you always answer? Seven. Okay? Because most of the time, it's God's number of completeness, right? Complete, completeness. So, I'll ask you again. How many raptures are, do you think are described in the Bible? And everyone said? Seven. Seven, that's right. And let me show them to you. All right? So, um, Enoch... All right, and, and we won't go through these, but it, these are amazing little stories. Little stories, and, and I, I suggest you jump in here and do the background reading on the ones that aren't familiar. But um, you know, Enoch and Elijah, obviously Jesus. Philip's a cool one. Paul is like, wow, he doesn't even take credit for it. And then us, the body of Christ, and then finally John. So there, there's seven seven raptures that are uh, really really cool things. And then Jesus says, I will show you the things which must take place after this. Here's that term again, that metatauta. And so, uh, you know, Dan was talking about on Sunday, he goes, you know, when I'm at, at, um, at Harvest Christian Crusade and, and watching the people go down, he's like, we're just waiting for that last, that last one to, to fill that, to fill that, uh, that, that spot in, 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 the, in the, the list, right? And, and, and oh, is that him or is that her? Is that it's like, wow, I just can't wait for, that, for that, one, that one last person to give their life to the Lord. And then John writes, immediately I was in the Spirit. And John, First uh, John 3, 2 says, uh, we're gonna, when we see him, we're going to be like him. And you know, because that's really nice to know. Because I really struggle sometimes being in, in, the, um, in the flesh. And it's going to be nice to be in the Spirit. We do things that we don't want to. We say things we don't want to. We think things that we shouldn't and don't want to. Um, but that's just our flesh. And so uh, John is here as immediately as I was in the Spirit. And, and guess what? I can't wait for that either. And there's lots of things that we're going to talk about tonight. I can't wait. All right. Um, next thing John says, he says, And behold, a throne set in heaven. And so as, as John enters the throne room, the, the throne is what strikes John first. And, and it's like the centerpiece of this vision. And John's fixated on this occupied throne. And, and, and then he describes everything else in relation to that throne. And one thing he notices is that the one sat on the throne. It wasn't empty. Um, the throne itself, just think about it, what, what, the, what the idea of a throne is or it means. is It's like a powerful declaration of not merely God's presence, but of his sovereign, rightful reign. He's in charge. This is his place. And it's also his prerogative to judge. Okay. Then John compares the one on the throne to, uh, to precious stones. And he says, and he who sat there was like a jasper. Now, a jasper is a, a, a clear stone. And if light was going through it, it would emanate in a, in a clear white light. And then John says, a sardis stone. Uh, in appearance, and, and uh, so the, the Sardis was a red stone. It looked like a ruby, and uh, light going through this would, would em, uh, emulate a, a red light. And so you have some white light and some red light, and it's kind of cool. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this guy, all right? And if you remember this guy, this was uh, Aaron, and uh, this was his breastplate is what we're looking at up here. And it says in, in Ezekiel, or, I'm sorry, in Exodus 28, we read that, the high priest wore a breastplate upon where there were 12 stones. And you can see 12 stones up there. And uh, one, of, one from each tribe. And the first of the 12 sons of Jacob was Reuben. And Reuben's name means behold or see a son. And uh, his, his stone was the Sardis stone, the red stone. 
Um, we, charted, we, we chatted about Sardis when we were chatting about the church at Sardis. And then the last of the 12 sons was Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And Benjamin's stone was a jasper. And so we have from the Sardis to the jasper. So if you put those together, thus the one on the throne says, behold, the son of my right hand. It's Jesus sitting at the right hand of the father. Then John says, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. The throne of God has no barriers. There was no barbed wire fences. There were no gates and and barriers. It was just a rainbow around it. And uh, the rainbow reminds me of, of God's promise, of God's promise of, of grace, you know, through, uh, through, through the flood and, and with Noah. And in Genesis uh, 9.16, it says, the, rain, the rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. When it comes to the throne of God, one scripture is my ultimate favorite, and it's Hebrews 4.16. It says, uh, you know, because, uh, because of Jesus, we're invited to come confidently and shamelessly into the throne of grace without hesitation. Right? The author of Hebrews, he writes, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of Jesus, we don't have to hesitate. We can run right into the throne room. We can jump up into Father God's lap and just be filled with his grace and his mercy. Don't hesitate. All right? It says boldly. That's what he says. Boldly. Then John says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. Now, there's lots of speculation as to who these elders are. And there's a couple ideas that are the main thoughts. And one thought is that because the Old Testament priesthood was divided into 24 groups um, and that the church is a kingdom of priests from Revelation 1.6, some suggest that the 24 elders represent the church, you know, with their white garments, symbolizing the righteousness given to us by Christ. And and that makes great sense. Um, Another thought is that the 24 elders referred to the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. And I kind of like this idea better because we read about it later in the description of New Jerusalem because in Revelation 21, we read that on each of the 12 gates in New Jerusalem is the name of one of the patriarchs. And in the foundations are the names of the 12 apostles. So it's like there's a history there. There's a foundational piece there. And so um, I'm... I'm sticking with <laughs> that, the, that the 24 elders represent the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. So keep that in mind as we, as we move through the book because they have a lot to say, especially next chapter, chapter 5. Um, we might not know who the elders are exactly, but we know who they cannot be. All right? we, we know that they can't be the tribulation believers because in Revelation 7, 13 through 14, um, the elders know and about... The elders know about the, tri- uh, the tribulation believers. They're, 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 they're around. They're a distinct group. Just let me get caught up. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, now I'm really lost, but that's okay. Um, we know that they also can't be angels because the angels are standing around the elders. All right? So we may not know exactly who they are, but we know who they are not. We do know that they have some distinguishing characteristics. We know that they're sitting on thrones. We know that they're wearing white raiment. We know that they're wearing crowns of gold. And we know that they are singing a praise song of the redeemed. 
And even though we're not positive as to who they are, we're going to learn later on about what they do. And this will be a sneak peek into chapter 5. We're going to read about how they sit in the presence of God. We're going to read about how they approach John when he's really bummed out, and we'll explain why he's bummed. And then in Revelation 5, 9 through 10, the 24 elders are going to sing a song to praise Jesus. Uh, I'm not sure how the tune goes, but the lyrics go something like this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's sweet. There's a heavenly description of what they do. So um, it, it kind of, you know, if we were to bring that down to earth, we need to be those who sit in the presence of God. That's what we need to do. We need to seek out those who are hurting and point them to the Lord, just like the elders do. We should also be those who sing a new song about what God's doing in our lives. All right? doesn't sound too complicated. All right? Next, John describes as they're clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Again, we know the elders can't be angels. Uh, angels are sometimes presented in white robes, but uh, saints also have white robes. Uh, however, we, need, we never see the angels crowned. Alrighty? Believers are and will be, but we'll talk about crowns in verse 9. Alrighty? So the 24 elders are the 12 patriots and the 12 apostles. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. All right. All right. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Wow. The lightning, thunder, voices, and fire, these are all reminiscent to me of God's presence at Mount Sinai. I mean, the mountain was rumbling. The sounds and the feelings, it totally reminds me of that. They communicate just the awe associated with the throne of God. And, and, I'm, and I'm sure if you were there, you would have felt it and felt his presence also. Remember that John is there in heaven. It's not a, it's not a daydream. It's not a, it, it's not a nightmare. He's experiencing all these things and, and he's taking it all in. I mean, just the way he describes it, he says, I looked. So he says that he looked 70 times. He says, I saw 35 times. He says, I beheld seven times. He says, I heard 23 times. So he's experiencing these with with his senses. And and when you think about it, thunderings, voice-like trumpets, it seems like everything in heaven is loud. Do you notice that? Everything is loud. I can't wait. (laughs) Um, Then John says, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This is another reference. We talked about uh, this reference last chapter in Isaiah 11.2. It's an Old Testament description of the the Holy Spirit and and how he's represented by these seven burning lamps. Now, in other passages that we're more familiar with, uh, he's represented by a dove and he's represented by a flame of fire. And and so these lamps of fire are important because, you know, the Holy Spirit is not um, ordinarily visible. So he, he makes himself visible. He rep, in order to make himself visible, he reps, represents himself with uh, uh, a physical form like a dove or a uh, tongue of fire. Pretty wild. Verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Um, think back to the tent, to the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, the laver of the basin was a large bowl filled with water and it was located halfway between the altar and the holy place. And it gave the priests... Uh, a place to wash their hands and their feet before entering the holy place. And the labor was located 
in that in that halfway point as a convenient place for washing and and it also stood that the people need to be cleansing before approaching God and and so the the, the priests would atone for their sins through a sacrifice on the brazen altar and then they cleansed themselves at the laver before serving in the holy place this was all done before they could move any further well guess what in heaven the laver has become a sea of crystal no washing required why because we're cleansed we're cleansed. Thank you, Jesus. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Now, if we take these pieces and compare it to Ezekiel 1, 4 through 14 and Ezekiel 10, 20 through 22, we understand that these creatures to be cherubim, okay? cherubim, these spectacular angels who surround the throne of God. And... Uh, these amazing things, that according to Ezekiel 28:14, uh, the amazing thing is, is that Satan used to be one of these. Okay, uh, cherubim were first seen in the Garden of Eden, and so after driving Adam and Eve out of the garden after they had sinned, uh, God used the cherubim as bouncers to keep them from going back in. Right? He didn't want them to eat of the tree of life and live forever in that fallen state. And so he, he said, cherubim, you know, keep them out, and, and so they did with flaming swords and. All of that is just amazing. Um, in terms of the cherubim, their, multiple, their multitude of eyes indicates that these living creatures, they're not blind instruments or, or robots, that they know and understand and they have greater insight and perception than any of us. And uh, verse 8 says that, we're, that they were full of eyes and, and, uh, and within. And obviously Adam and Eve were not going to sneak back past the bouncers into the garden. They're not going to get past them. Verse 7, he says, the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And uh, so here John describes the four cherubim, each with a different face. And from comparisons with Ezekiel 1, 6 through 10, we see that each of the cherubim had four faces. It just at that moment, John sees each one of the four faces pointed in his direction. And the significance of these four faces has been interpreted in lots of ways. And you could fill books with the ideas about these four faces. Personally, I love the perspective that each of the four faces of the cherubim are often taken as symbols of Jesus as represented in each of the Gospels. And so uh, if, if you look at the Gospels and how they're written and who they're written to, uh, Matthew is seen as the lion gospel, and it shows Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Mark is seen as the ox or the calf gospel, showing that Jesus as a humble servant and, and a worker. And, you know, that makes sense because when you read Mark, there's no genealogy. Who cares about the roots of a slave, right? Luke is seen as the man gospel, showing Jesus as the perfect man, the second Adam. And then John is seen as the eagle gospel, showing Jesus as the man from heaven, from, from the sky. Um, just amazing perspective for each of those. And when you read it, you're like, wow, that makes total sense. For the past three, four months, uh, we've been meeting every Thursday night um, here uh, for a, a series called The Bible in 24 Hours. And it's a, it's a study done by Chuck Missler. If you ever listen to Chuck Missler, um, he talks uh, really fast. And uh, he has so much to say. But... Chuck teaches the entire Bible in 24 one-hour sessions. And, and so we've been going through, and it took us the first four months to go through the Old Testament, and um, we have found that our, our brains get full after the first half hour. 
And, and, and so we press stop and say, we'll pick this up next week. And so we're doing the Bible in 48 half-hour sessions. That's our plan, right? But anyway, um, oh, incidentally, commercial here. Uh, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, all are welcome, all right? Um, but while we were in numbers, Chuck pointed out something really cool about the four different faces of the cherubim. And so, you know, I said, ooh, note to self. Let's talk about this when we're in Revelation. We learned that God declares that his people were to camp in a certain formation as they traveled through the wilderness. So as, 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 as the, the, the group, as the Israelites are, are moving through the desert, every time they camp, they, they had instructions on how to camp and how to set up. And so um, he told the Levites to set up and surround the tabernacle on the north, south, east, and west. So they would set up the tabernacle, the tent of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the middle, and then they would set up their camp in a, in a, in a rectangle around it. And then Numbers 2 goes on to say that each of the four sides were to be three tribes, three tribes on each side. And so Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon, they, they numbered 186,000 they were to camp on the east side, and they were known as the camp of Judah. And the symbol of the camp of Judah was the lion. And then Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, they were a smaller number, 108,000. And they were to camp on the west side, and they were known as the camp of Ephraim. And their symbol was the ox. And then Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, number 151,400, they were to camp on the south side, and they were known as the camp of Reuben, and the symbol was the man. And then finally, Dan and Nuts. Naphtali and Asher, they numbered 157,600, and they were to camp on the north side, and they were known as the Camp of Dan, and the symbol was the eagle. Okay? There was just a few other rules that they had to follow, and, and one of them was that only cardinal directions were ordained. Cardinal means north, south, east, and west. So they had to stay in the north, south, east, and west uh, areas. And the tribes could only camp within the width of the Levites' camp. So in other words, think about that square that's in the center. Each of the tribes had to stay inside that width in the direction that they were assigned. And so you're thinking, okay, so what does this mean? That's what we thought, right? But let's jump forward to Numbers 23 and 24 and bring back a story of Balak, the king of Moab. Um, He was watching the, the approaching Israelites come to his land and, and he, was, he, was, he was afraid. And so he hired a prophet named Balaam to curse them. No problem, Balaam must have thought. You know, these guys, they've been adulterous and rebellious and ungrateful and immoral. No problem. But, uh, you know, he just figured he'd climb up to a nice high vantage point and just curse away. But Balaam erred greatly because he was thinking that God was angry with his people. And so when he uttered a curse over them, all that came out was what? A blessing. Okay? All that came out was a blessing. Why? Because when you think about it, when, when, um, when Balaam would climb to this high vantage point, this is what he would see. He would see the shape of a cross. And so no wonder all he could do was, uh, was, 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 was share a blessing on the people. You know, sometimes we deserve... We think we deserve to be cursed because we rebel and we murmur and we whine and we complain. Or is it just me? All right. But, you know, we, we think that we deserve to be cursed because we don't do what we should do and we do what we shouldn't, all of those things. But you know what? God looks, looks at us and, and he sees us in light of the cross. 
And all he wants to do is bless us. All his desire is, is to bless us. Remember his mercy. He's giving us what we don't deserve. Family, he loves us. God loves us. We just need to remember that. The four living creatures, uh, having, each having six wings, were full of eyes and within. Now, this sounds crazy. Uh, you know, I'm a science teacher, and, and, and I've seen insects with four wings and lots of eyes, but I've never seen creatures with four faces, six wings, and eyes around and within. All right? uh, when we see them, we're going to say, wow, they're real cool. All right, I can see how he describes that. We can see that. I just can't wait. And then, they, and then he, he writes and he says, They do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Okay, review time. Why does the cherubim say, Holy, holy, holy? Trinity. Oh, we got that. Yeah, because our God's triune. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Remember that the word holy means whole, not eroded by sin, not falling apart, not hypocritical, not flawed in any way. Psalm 29.2, it reads, Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And that's what the cherubim are doing. They can't help it. They just can't help it. Here's some other members of my family. We, we have two dogs. This is, this is them in the back. This is Spencer. He's 90 pounds of shedding, drooling love. And, uh, you know... He was made to fetch sticks, especially if it has to do with water, right? Even cold water. There he is, right? Ellie, nothing to do with it, right? But um, that's what Spencer does. He can't help it. On the other hand, there's Ellie. Now, Ellie's a lap dog. She's a Yorkie and a Maltese. Maltese are those long, flowing manes that the... They were bred to sit on the lap of the queen. And guess what? That's what she does. She can't help it. We're trying to decide if she's doing it because she likes it or if she's doing it because it's my job. It's what I have to do. And you know what? What are the cherubim doing? They're worshiping God because that's what cherubim do. They can't help it. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, with the, with who, worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. So as the cherubim worship, the 24 elders join in. They casting their crowns before the throne. The crowns mean nothing to them. Uh, the Bible speaks of five crowns that are available to us now. You know, it, it, it's like we can't take things, we can't take things to heaven. But the way I see it, we can invest now and the stuff's already there. That's the way I, I kind of see it. Um, the first crown that we can that we can have is the crown of life and it's given to those who love him. Uh, James 1.12 reads, Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Revelation 2.10 says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Second crown is the crown of glory of those who shepherd the flock. First Peter 5 reads, And when the chief shepherd appears, uh, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The crown of rejoicing, we read in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope? Uh, 
or for what is our our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. What's this talking about? This is talking about those who win souls, those who bring others to the Lord, and you look at them and you say, oh, you are our glory. So when you share Jesus with somebody and they accept him as Lord and Savior, it's like they are your glory and your joy. And uh, and there's a crown of rejoicing for that. Then there's the crown of incorruptible. And this is for those who press on steadfastly. 1 Corinthians 9.25 reads, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And lastly, the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.8 reads, For those who love his appearing... I'm sorry, uh, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to those who have loved his appearing. So the crown of righteousness is going for those who loves his appearing, who, a person who lives in constant expectation of Jesus' uh, return. And, and so how do we remind each other about that? There we go. There we go. All right. You can flash that anytime you want. All right. All right. Now, we know that there's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. Jesus paid it all. He said it is finished. But what we do today with our time, our money, our energy uh, will directly impact our eternity. And we can't do anything to earn our way into heaven, but we can invest now into our, into our eternity. Uh, we can earn crowns. And no wonder Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9.24 uh, to run the race so that we might win the prize. Uh, this life is the only opportunity that we'll have to earn them. And, and so uh, that's, that, that's enough for me. John continues and he writes, And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. This leaves us uh, with two important ideas about worship. And uh, worship is the number one program in heaven. It's what's going to happen. If you want heaven in your life now, worship now. Second thing, worship is the purpose for creation. Everything exists for one reason, and that's to please God. And uh, so how do we worship? I love the word itself. The word itself uh, is uh, puskinio. And puskinio in Greek means to turn and kiss. And uh, so true worship is any sincere expression intended for for the Lord's pleasure. And uh, so there's so many ways that we can worship. I mean, yes, we can sing praise and thanksgiving, but we can serve one another. We can love one another. We tithe. We, we support. We love on. There's just so many ways um, that, 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 we can, that we can show our worship. It's what we do, right? And we can't help it. So my challenge for you this week is this. Number one, sit in the presence of God. Spend some alone time with him just like the elders. Number two, seek out those who are hurting and point them to the Lord. Share God's love, just like the elders. Number three, sing a new song about what God is doing in your life. Worship Him with your life, just like the elders. Tonight, if you don't have the assurance of eternal life in the heavenlies that we visited tonight um, with our Savior, and we'd like that, uh, it would be our pleasure to make the introductions 
And so after service, if you'd like to come and chat with us, we'd, we'd love to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we do love you. And we thank you for your, the promises of your words in, in terms of eternity. And, and we just can't wait. We continually uh, ask that you would show us great and mighty things that you would like to do here and now. We just can't wait. We love you. And we praise you and all people's Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.